Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Can you see it? Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Head on To the line, Hughes scores! In this existence, take you to the sun. First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1-0. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks over at Zephyr Epic. Use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, that will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com. Free shipping, Canada-wide, on any order, over $50, so be sure to go check them out. Retail location in Surrey as well. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, whatever it is, they've got you covered for all of your trading card needs. So be sure to go check them out. Local support local. Go check them out. ZephyrEpic.com. My name is David Quadrelli. I'm joined as always by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Our technical producer today is Aaron Bordado. Chris has a hockey pack that he's going to open. Let's uh, let's open this up. Okay, go ahead. All right. <clears throat> As you do that, I should mention, yeah. we wanted to say our thanks to Alex Allard. Um, he's no longer with the Nation Network, won't be on our show anymore, but we wanted to extend our thanks to Alex. Uh, you know, he was great with us. We had 
a lot of fun uh, with Alex Allard. So we wanted to give a quick shout out to Alex. But yes, as I mentioned, Aaron Bernardo is our producer today. And I believe every day going forward. So shout out producer Aaron. Uh, but you've got a hockey pack there. Yeah. Going to miss Alex, uh, that's for sure. I think Alex did a, an incredible job uh, producing this show in his time here. Everybody knows that in the chat. Um, yeah, unfortunately, some things come to an end, and this is that type of situation. So we'll miss uh, Alex Lard and wish him nothing but the best. Uh, moving forward, uh, we'll miss producer Alex, that's for sure. I, you know what? I got a very good card here. Uh, a very good card, and I, I really think it, it actually, I actually should look up the value here. Uh, this is a Young Guns of Arbor Jackeye. Is that how you say his name? Arbor Jackeye? The uh, the guy from the Montreal Canadiens. But here's the thing, and I learned this uh, from, from the good folks down at Zephyr Epic. The French Young Guns are extremely valuable. And this is a French Young Gun of a oh. Montreal Canadian card of Arbor Zach, Jackeye. Whatever you say, this guy's name. I think uh, I'm going to have to look this one up because I think that there's some value here uh, behind this. I'm looking for the Andre Kuzmenko um, rookie card still in the set, but I think I think this is big. I'm going to look it up right now on eBay. I think this is a big one. I'm seeing $40. Hey, that's pretty good for me, quads. I'll take that. Hey, yep. 30 to $40 is what I'm seeing. So, hey, I mean, it's more than zero. Yeah, this is good. I can get groceries this week, uh, pay rent. That's all good. Got to do that today. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's good news there. We got so much to get to. Um, let's just dive right into it. We got Frank Saravalli. He's going to join us in about uh, 10 minutes' time. But uh, we do have some somewhat breaking news, right, Quads? The article's already out, I guess, so it's not that much of a break news. Hold on. I just noticed, too, we're on a new streaming system. I got a green screen behind me now. So nothing. Uh, producer <laughs> Producer Aaron, who's running things now, he hasn't screwed with me yet. Uh, but the green screen is behind me. No longer the Canucks combo logo, which I'm wearing on the shirt, actually. So that would have been somewhat of an Inception type of look uh, for the YouTube folks. Uh, but yeah, nothing behind me on the green screen yet. So Frank's going to join us in about 10 minutes. But let's get to the breaking news, the big stories around the Vancouver Canucks. We do have some uh, some good positive news. I was writing about him at the time. You have the article up already at Canucks Army. The Canucks have signed. Friend of the show. And right shot defenseman, as well as Snuggy Lover, Jet Wu, signs a one-year two-way deal making $775,000 in the NHL, $100,000 in the AHL, as reported by Rick Dollywall. That's a $30,000 raise in the AHL, or uh, if you want to look at it in their paycheck worth, an extra $1,154 on every paycheck while he's playing in the AHL. That's good stuff for a good kid from uh, Manitoba there, Jet Wu. So uh, your thoughts uh, on the Jet Wu extension? Well, Jet Wu's going to be buying at Cactus next season. I'll tell you that much. But, you know, obviously Rick Dollywall reporting those terms. Patrick Johnson pointed this part out that essentially Jet Wu traded his qualifying offer for a raise in the AHL. Look, this is a guy who last year, Chris, there were times we were talking about what's his future with this organization. And look, not to be too doom and gloom, he's a friend of the show. We don't want to talk badly or anything, but there was legitimate questions about, okay, are they even going to qualify this guy? Like, why would they waste a contract spot on this player? Now, I don't think anybody was looking at it and saying, oh, well, I don't think they should keep Jet Wu around. I think he's more than earned this contract. I'm excited to see him stick around. Uh, look, Ryan Johnson spoke glowingly of him last year. Um, I'm not even last year. This past season is what I meant to say. Uh, in his end of season press conference, we heard Ryan Johnson say so many nice things about Jet Wu. So, 
look, I, I'm I'm super happy for Jet Wu to earn this contract and earn it. He did. Like I, I don't know what else you could say about him. Um, you know, when it comes to playing in the NHL, we know Jet Wu is not going to be a top four defenseman, right? Like, yeah, he was drafted high, not going to be a top four defenseman in all likelihood. What he is going to be able to do is be one of these depth guys who can fight for that sixth spot. Like he he could be he could very very well be Kyle Burrows, right? Like he could absolutely become Kyle Burrows. And not only do I mean just play in your sixth spot, I also mean like he's got that versatility of being able to play both the left and right side. Like that matters. That matters a lot in the NHL. Uh, Jet Wu showed he's able to do that this year. That versatility is going to only give him an advantage when it comes to staying and sticking in the NHL and with an NHL organization. So look, all, all the power to Jet Wu. I'm very, very happy for him. Uh, he earned the contract for sure. Yeah, and I mean, listen, he led the Abbotsford Canucks in goals from a defenseman last year. That's probably not something that anybody would have guessed going into the season. And you mentioned it, Ryan Johnson has spoke very highly of what Jet Wu has done and how he's developed the season. I guess kind of his, even his his mantra in the offseason of, of just looking at how to develop as a pro. I mean, that's a huge change that players have to go through. When they're coming out of junior, they're, they're working at you know, building off of what they did last year. When you make that jump to pro hockey, it's completely different. You don't really know what you exactly have to build on. So I think Jet Wu now figuring it out for a couple seasons, he, he knows what he has to do at the AHL level to be successful. And you're right, playing the left side, playing the right side, all pretty exciting things. And the one-year deal, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, you know, he's gonna he's 22 years old right now. He's going to be an RFA at the end of this contract as well. He's just going to get the one year to kind of prove himself if he's playing NHL games. Then he gets a, a longer-term contract. If he's still stuck in the AHL, maybe we're looking at another one-year deal at the end of this. So, uh, overall, yeah, just nice little uh, piece of news nugget there with uh, with Jet Wu, and we're happy. Friend of the show. He's been on here a couple times and uh, had some fun with us. Speaking of which, I quickly wanted to get this in. This is from him. Also, Archer Zerbe, I wrote this at Canucks Army, uh, spoke glowingly of Seelovs. we got to get to that in a second here. But Jet Wu, I want to go back to this quote here. Uh, we talked to him last season during the playoff run for Abbott's right? I keep saying last season. It was like two months ago. We talked to him about two months ago uh, about the Abbott's playoff run and his season personally. And I want to remind people what he had to say, because it gives you kind of an outlook of what he's thinking for this next season, because he basically told us, he said, I think I'm just trying to take this next year as another development year and really try to hone into my game, being more strong defensively, move pucks and at the right times be offensive <coughs> as well. With all the injuries and call-ups that happened this year, I kind of talked about he was able to capitalize on his opportunities. But that first part, I want to focus on that first part because you just said it, what happens next year. He's going into it with the mindset of, I want to continue to take a step. It's not, because right now, I think you and I can both agree, Chris, and I think Brian Johnson also agrees, that he's probably ready to play some NHL games right now. Not to be an everyday um, bottom-pairing guy. He's probably not ready for that yet. But after next season... Is he ready for that? Because he wants to continue developing. And right now we think he's, you know, on the cusp of being NHL ready as a, you know, a seventh defenseman. We think he's on the cusp. What is he next year if he actually does take that step in development that he's looking for? So you can see why this contract was um, something that he would want, obviously, right? Like the one year deal. And we just talked about it. What happens next year? If he takes another step, 
you're looking at a guy who can probably be a bottom pairing defenseman for you. Homegrown. That's a good development story for Abbotsford. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I just think that he's at a point now where what he just did last season at least put him in the conversation. I wouldn't say that he is there right now to start actually considering him as a legitimate like seventh NHL defenseman. But if he's able to pick up where he left off or make any kind of improvement really off of what he did last year, let's not forget, listen, first half of the season wasn't great for Jet Wu either. It, you know, there was times he was getting burned. The skating was an issue. Uh, a lot of things were, were worrying me at the start of the year with Jet Wu. He really figured things out around probably mid-January, maybe early February, and, and really rode out the final few months of that season having a lot of success there. So I think that he needs to come into next year and still understand that there needs to be more improvement, right? This isn't the level that he... He hasn't hit a level right yet where he can be comfortable about his NHL future. He's close, and I think we've seen little flashes of him being at that level, but he's not consistently sitting on that level right now of being an NHLer full-time. So I, I do still think there needs to be a very big offseason before we can really legitimately have these conversations about him playing NHL games next year. Listen, Ryan Johnson's jacked up about it. He wants to see what uh, what Jet Wu looks like at training camp compared to the rest of the guys on that right side, and I think he'll get all the opp opportunity to do so. We'll see him in some preseason games. We'll see him, what he looks like against NHL players. So uh, all positive, but we got to see him consistently be that. And I do see in the chat here asking about Kyle Burrows. I've uh, been on Twitter, people asking about Noah Juleson as well. I, I, I really hope that they bring both those guys back for an opportunity to be at least in the mix. I'm just a little bit curious if they're going to go away from the two local kids. So that uh, that's going to be interesting here because, man, Burroughs, we saw him out at the HL game. He's out there supporting the Abbotsford Canucks without a contract for next season. Noah Juleson's from Abbotsford. You want to see him back in uh, at the Abbotsford Center next year. He's a great AHL defenseman. So we'll see what happens with those two. But as of right now, I'm not hearing anything uh, along the lines of those guys even having contract offers in front of them. Because I do think that both those guys would probably want to stay in this organization here where, you know, they're, they're hometown guys. They, they want to play for the Canucks, whether it's at Abbotsford or in Vancouver. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. But right now they are kind of filling up. You think about the right side of this team, right? Like Philip Johansson now. You have uh, Jet Wu obviously getting the contract. Philip Hironik, uh, Tyler Myers. Like they have a decent amount of guys there on the right side that I think they can kind of patch their way through a season if they need to. But the hope is obviously to have a defense that you don't have to worry about patching throughout the season. You want to be a defense that you feel confident in. So we'll see. Maybe those guys like Burroughs and Juleson are just at the point right now where the organization, like I said, they want to build a good defense. Is Kyle Burroughs and, and Noah Juleson in their plans moving forward? I don't know because we're starting to see a lot of contracts come out for these guys, whether it's just a, a one-year or a little extension. They still have the Ethan Bear contract to worry about too. Let's not forget about that. Like the, the right side is starting to fill up with some bodies and – uh, I'm curious to see if Juleson and Burroughs are on the outside looking in. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but no matter the case, Chet Wu, I think he's going to continue to build. And we'll see him. I think we'll see him in NHL games next year. But you you brought up Archer Silovs. We haven't had a show since he won tournament MVP and, and was given a crown by Latvia. Are they calling it Archer Silovs Day? They get, I know they made it a national holiday on uh, on Monday after the tournament there. Uh, but uh, let's I'll let you go off here. Archer Silovs wins tournament MVP at the World Championships. Yes, so that Monday has been declared a holiday in Latvia. So that was the day that they returned home. Uh, they actually played the bronze medal game. So they playing every game prior to that in Riga in front of their home crowd, which, by the way, that home crowd, Chris, the, the crowds in Europe, phenomenal, phenomenal. There's nothing on the Jumbotron saying make some noise or whatever you know we see in North America. None of that. You didn't see any of that. You saw the crowd just on their feet cheering nonstop. 
awesome, awesome environment, I would say. So Archer Silovs returns home, obviously 921 save percentage to finish out his tournament. Just absolutely phenomenal at this tournament. And I don't know what else there is to be said, Chris. Like Archer Zerbe was on Donnie and Dolly, friends of the show. Donnie and Dolly today. And he spoke glowingly about Silovs. And I, I, I put this, uh, put the article out at Canucks Army, but the whole interview is worth a listen. Uh, it's up on the Donnie and Dolly YouTube channel. Um, you know, all that sort of stuff. But one thing that I loved that Urbe said was he talks a lot. He, he's a big talker, by the way. Um, he, he kept talking about, you know, Silovs gave them this level of confidence that they just didn't have before. And it wasn't a knock against any other goaltender, but he talked about how the plan was to use all three of their goaltenders. Mm. Silovs played all but five minutes of that tournament because look, it, it was like I said, I have been talking about this for a while. It looked like as soon as Silovs uh, went in, that Latvia got more confident. They started to play that style that I keep talking about, the one that the Canucks played in the bubble against Vegas where they just guard the home plate area. They're blocking shots, doing all that. Latvia started to take another step when Silovs was in net and Urbe talked about it and he said that level of confidence just came from Silovs. It started at the back end and it just went through the whole team and looked like Urbe had some really interesting things to say about Silovs. He, you know, he talked about how he saw or he felt what Silovs was feeling when he was watching him play. And it was just, yeah, like, like, you know, he said he's NHL ready, all that sort of stuff, but Really, really interesting interview. Definitely worth a listen um, as I keep plugging another show. But you, you should go listen to that interview. Uh, what he said about Seelovs was pretty pretty interesting, to be quite honest with you. And the final thing I want to say is that he said, you know, I want to see the Canucks win a cup. And I feel that it's possible with Archers. So, hey, he's calling it. He's calling what the streets have known for a while now. Um, Archer Seelovs is going to bring the Canucks to a Stanley Cup. We, we saw all the photos and, and videos out of Latvia. How cool is that, that hockey can do that to a country? And how crazy is it that hockey, it, it kind of requires Olympic play for Canada to get to that point. This is supposed to be our sport. It's supposed to be the sport that Canada just is obsessed with. And you see the way that Latvia reacts to a world championships. I mean, um, I, I thought it, Arthur Zerbe, I believe, said something in uh, that interview about, like, this isn't a once in a generation thing this is a once in a lifetime uh event for hockey fans and i mean that was that was what is bang on and you could see it represented by the fans out there in latvia that was incredible uh final little piece of news nugget i want to get to before we get to frank's air valley uh saw this reported by tyler green of daily hive that Mm -hmm. ray ferraro could be doing up to 25 games on the canucks broadcast i know his espn contract expires after next season so is, is 25 games potentially a little trial before uh, maybe going full-time in 24-25? Ray Ferraro, who a lot of us had at the top of our power rankings to be the color guy replacing, uh, obviously, John Garrett, Cheech, an incredible job. I, I think it's going to be very hard, even for Ray Ferraro, to replace uh, Cheech just because of the chemistry between Shorty and Cheech. I mean, that's that's impossible to create. You you remember this from three years ago at BCIT, how hard it is to create chemistry quads. But, I mean, we're, we're seeing... These reports of Ray Ferraro, I mean, you can't ask for a guy much better, right? I, I think the hope would be maybe Kevin Bieksa absolutely kills it as a color guy, and he would be, like, the next best guess. But to me, like, Ray Ferraro is the cream of the crop. That's the best color guy you can have in hockey. So this would be great, even if it is just for potentially up to 25 games next year on the Canucks broadcast. Yeah, and I mean, 
look, Ferraro is a guy who knows Shorthouse. He knows Murph pretty well. Um, look, those, those are all the North Van guys, right? Like they all golf together, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, he, he's he's a great option. Like you said, probably 25 games based on the report uh, from Daily Hive. The thing that I can't stop thinking about, Chris, is this this is just a problem that didn't need to be created. You know what I mean? Like it, it didn't have to, mm. I don't know. Like you didn't need to, you, you wouldn't have to find a replacement for John Garrett. If you just left him on the broadcast, I don't know. Anyways, I'm not going to get into all no, this, I'm but with you. I just, I, I do think it is, listen, we we've seen a lot of the rankings go around. I know the athletic does this pretty often as we've mentioned, basically every other, uh, outlet uh, our competition so far early on in the show but uh you see the rankings for like uh you know play-by-play groups and i think that the vancouver canucks have had one of the best ones for a long time with the combination of murph shorty and cheech and you know like we've all said it's almost impossible to replace what cheech is bringing to the broadcast but if you are going to try like ray ferraro for 25 games next year and then we'll see where it goes from there after his espn contract is up because he is one of the best in the in the building. So uh, we'll have to see what happens there. But that's uh, a little bit of our news nuggets there. Why don't we get to our guests now? Frank Zaravalli of Daily Faceoff joining us. Frank has been busy. I, I thought that they'd be slowing down a little bit as the offseason comes up here. Uh, as Frank looks like he's got a target locked on him here on our uh, on our stream yard here. Jeez, quads. I thought you were doing the hit later. But uh, what I... Yeah, what I, I was... I just... My camera takes a minute to focus up. So I was... Uh... I was seeing if you guys could hold up a sec, but it's all good. Oh, it's all good. We I, th- This is fun. <laughs> this is fun, especially for the podcast listeners. Uh, Frank, you can appreciate see it locked in on my eye, like quite creepily. <laughs> I actually, I, I'm a little confused by this thing. We have switched over, by the way, folks, uh, who are tuning in here on YouTube from a different streaming device. And Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This one's, uh, it's creeping me out a little bit off the top, but Frank... 
We appreciate you jumping on the show here today. How's the offseason been for you so far? Because I, I, like I said, you know, we've slowed down. We're not doing five shows a week anymore, but it feels like your shows, you have more news than you did kind of near the end of the regular season right now. Yeah, it's actually um, just about as busy as it gets. Uh, so many coaching changes, management changes, you know, talks are beginning to heat up on trades. 30 out of the 32 teams are in off-season mode. So that sort of gives you an indication of where a lot of teams' heads are at. And, um, yeah, this is it. This is where – this is my Super Bowl these next few <laughs> weeks. So so I'm excited. Frank, did the Leafs make a good decision with Brad for living? I think they did. Um, look, I think you can only judge a manager based on the situations and circumstances that they deal with. And I don't think people have a full appreciation for how wild it is to work for Mary Edwards in Calgary. Um, I think people in Vancouver have a different uh, appreciation for that. Like they, <laughs> they get it. Like anyone, when I say that people sort of nod their head. Um, but in Calgary, like, I think it's sort of low key, lower case, like not everyone realizes how stressful it can be and the demands of that. And I also think too, like, people would look at his tenure a lot differently if they didn't have Matthew Kachuk decide that he's not going to resign or if Johnny Gaudreau didn't, you know, sort of kind of quasi agree to a deal to stay in Calgary and end up leaving at the last minute. Like all those things sort of change the complexion of it. And then the resulting Huberto and Uyghur trade um, look at the end of the day, he helped acquire a really significant core in an outpost and market that isn't always easy to do so in. So uh, I think having the sort of unlimited resources of Toronto and having a really quality core that he inherits, I think makes it a really enticing hire. Frank, as we stick with some around the league stuff, I got one more before we get to the Vancouver Canucks a little bit. The talk of the salary cap going up for a long time, for it felt like a six-month concrete stretch, we felt like it was $1 million. That's all we were going to get. And Canucks fans, they said, that's not great. We've heard you talk about a 3 to $4 million potentially going up. and I know I've been saying was... this forever. <laughs> yeah, I know you have, and you really have, have hit it home over the past, like, two weeks or so. So is this happening? What's going on with the salary cap? Look, I, I firmly believe that the NHL knows in, in its own back pocket, in its own executive boardroom that no one that's affiliated with the league wants to see a fourth straight season of a frozen salary cap. And more to the point, given that this debt from uh, players to owners is scheduled to be paid off so early next season, it doesn't really even make a lot of sense. So there's going to be a massive increase one year from now. Why not try and preempt that instead of handing every manager a seven, eight, $9 million increase smooth it out for one two players get more money in the system so it's beneficial to them and you know there's a way to do all of this without impacting the escrow cap that's already been negotiated i believe that to be the case the league wants something in return as they are want to do and we'll see where it goes we've got three weeks essentially maybe four to really figure this out and give teams an answer because I wrote about five buyout candidates today and you can't really make a judgment call on who you're buying out necessarily 
regardless of when the window opens until you really know what your salary cap upper limit is. And that may not come until June 26th ish with the NHL draft on June 28th. Frank, you, you make a great case for everything making sense for the cap to go up. Why, why wouldn't it, why would it stay at 1 million instead of three to four somewhere around that range? Why would this not happen? The easiest answer for you is that the NHL wants to be difficult, that they are, you know, sort of essentially for the first time since Marty Walsh took over as NHL Players Association Executive Director, they want to get something for it. That's traditionally how it's worked. Whenever the players ask for something, there's always an, uh, an, an answer from the NHL. And if they want to be a stick in the mud, essentially all they have to do is point towards the memorandum of understanding, which just dictates very clearly if the debt is not paid off, if one penny, one dollar has not been paid off on this debt, then the cap can only buy formula increase by one million. So um, the, it's, it's spelled out in black and white. The NHL doesn't have to do anything yet. Whatever they would do, it's, you guys have been around long enough to know that it's not going to be out of the kindness of their heart. No kidding. Okay. Speaking of kindness out of their heart, is there any team willing to take JT Miller this off season? Do you think? <laughs> I do think that there's a path. Um, I think the Canucks have to properly adjust their expectations going in because I think the easiest way to simplify this conversation is would someone sign JT Miller at the contract that he's at heading into next season if he were to be a free agent this summer? And my answer is on a contending team with this crop of free agents, if you believe JT Miller is a center and you see him as a sort of 85 to 90 point impact player in this league, the answer is probably yes. You can forget about the, the tail end and the term of the deal because contending teams kind of always worry about that part of it later. It may be someone else's problem to deal with if you're a GM, but will they pay a premium on top of that contract and give the Canucks what they were asking for at the deadline which was essentially two first round picks. Will they do that and sign JT Miller to that type of contract as a free agent? I'm not convinced that's the case. And I think those expectations, it's a pretty similar conversation to the one that you would have about Eric Carlson leaving San Jose and the cap implications of that deal that you'd have to, you know, sort of check those at the door and properly value the creation of the cap space in your own organization in order to do that. And I know that that's probably easier said than done because it seems like the Canucks haven't properly valued that flexibility and space based on their actions to this point. I think what's interesting, Frank, and you brought it up there, it's like the the additional assets to not only just taking the contracts. I don't think the Canucks are looking to just get rid of this contract for nothing, like you said. and and Because they want to be competitive. Exactly. They're, they're in a, the camp that I think a lot of people in Vancouver look at teams that they should be trading with. That seems to be what the Canucks think they are. And JT Mill is a perfect example because you look at this free agency class. You've brought it up. I've heard you say this all season long. This is not a uh, a free agency cap where you got to start you know saving your pennies because you want to spend money here. So how much is there going to be a player that even gets close to what JT Miller is making in free agency this year? Somebody getting anywhere near $8 million? Because then what I think is maybe a team 
would be willing to give up some assets to be able to take that contract because there's just no one in the same stratosphere as JT. Not even close. And that's, that's really what lines up to make this a perfect sort of storm for the Canucks. This is exactly the type of year you'd want to be having this discussion. Could you imagine having it last year with a Johnny Gaudreau on the board or someone else that's a big time, big name free agent where there's still only limited dollars to go around. You're hitting it at the exact moment in time where, again, theoretically, the cap should be going up Well, for one. And two, it's a shitty free agent class. So you mash those two things together and the Canucks need for cap flexibility. And you say, this makes a lot of sense. However, is, are they going to find that there's the proper juice for that squeeze in order to part with the player? Because obviously they still like him. And you see the run that he had under Rick Tockett and you say, well, maybe he can be that guy. My concern with JT Miller has never really been the here and now. It's the later term for when the Canucks should actually theoretically be building for. That is really the core issue. And that's, that is going to be the interesting thing because I don't think anybody knows what the what the thought is aside from people internally there, where the direction is, because you're right. It feels like the amount of paths that you could have taken are starting to be canceled out. And you're honestly at the point right now where what you've done with Philip Peronic trade and these other situations of moving high-end draft picks for players, you've kind of taken away the chance to rebuild. You're almost taking away the chance to retool with the contracts that are starting to come over the next couple of years here, it's going to be interesting to see. So I'm curious with that point, if the Canucks want to get competitive next season, and that seems to be the way that they're on their track right now, how much is that 11th overall pick in play, Frank? And I mean, it's, it's, it's the most consistently moved first round pick over the past 10 years in the NHL, the 11th overall pick. And the Canucks are holding on to it this year in a year where they want to get competitive next season. So how much in play is that 11th overall pick when you look at guys in the first round who have first round picks, I guess? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be in play at all. The Canucks should be drafting the best player available at that exact moment in time, relying on Patrick Alvin's scouting eye and stockpiling that pick into this organization that desperately needs a prospect pipeline to be rebuilt around that player. You you do as well as you can in that spot and you you hoard that jewel, so to speak. To think that the Canucks are going to move it for immediate gratification, I think just sets this team back another five years. Whatever the number is, maybe not five, maybe an exaggeration, but the point being, this is also still somewhat of a historically deep draft class and the Canucks have to be top of mind that this team hasn't made the playoffs and you can think and feel whatever it is that you want about, Oh, Hey, look at the Florida Panthers, the eight seed playing for the Stanley cup. You didn't make it in. Mm -hmm. And, and frankly, more than that, you weren't really close. And to convince yourself from a couple years ago with Bruce Boudreaux and the turnaround over the last 56 games of the year to then this bump that they got under Rick Tockett to be fooled by that again as, hey, if we could just be that team, we'll be okay. I think it's it's crazy. So, look, somewhere someone is convincing themselves that they can be next year's Florida Panthers, that they can sneak into the playoffs and go to the final and have a chance to win. And they may be right. 
The Stanley Cup playoffs are the ultimate coin flip. Hockey is so incredibly random. But I, I just think from a 30,000-foot view, team-wide perspective, franchise-building perspective, that shouldn't be the goal is to sneak in and and see if you can do some damage. It should be, we want to be the next Carolina Hurricanes. Mm. We want to be consistently excellent every single year and have a chance to win the Stanley Cup every year that maybe you don't. Maybe you fall short. You know, Carolina's been to the conference final now twice in the last four years. Vegas, they're in a different stratosphere, different situation because they were an expansion franchise, but four times in six years. And you look at the Lightning and some of these other teams, Washington, how many times did they get to the second round and lose? St. Louis, get to the second round and lose. At some point, you got to give yourself enough chances that when you're in the game and you're in the mix, that you can break through. And right now, the Canucks aren't in the mix. And to think that they're going to have one really good summer and it's going to lean towards five years of competitive greatness there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I'm not saying it's impossible, but to think that there's a quick fix right on the horizon for this team, like unless you're going to magically rebuild this team's defense core, I don't think it's possible. No, it's it's a team that needed a step back and has continued to just power tiptoe forward, right? Yeah, and I mean power through would be great, but I think the the steps are. You no, know, I'm saying they've been, they've tried to yeah. power through that that notion of taking a step back. Why is that pride? Is that marketplace demand? Is it ownership push? Like, where does that come from? Because it spanned multiple regime changes now that I don't, I don't really get it. We're trying over here, Frank. We're trying to get it as well. Uh, <laughs> one of the quick fixes that people have floated, um, Oliver Ekman Larson buyout. I know that this is something you've talked about a lot lately. This doesn't sound like it's happening in Vancouver, you believe. No, I, I look, is it out of the realm of possibility? No, I still think you're dealing with $10 million in real cash savings, which I think should always be uh, top of mind when you're looking at a situation like this. But the sheer length of it, how punitive the cap hits are, it's an easy, immediate gratification of, wow, you can wipe almost all of that off the books for the first year of the buyout. But essentially, I think if you were to do that, what you'd be doing is actually basically trading for Oliver Ekman Larson again. <laughs> Instead of trying to wait through the pain that you're in with the cap, which they should have just done one more year and get all that flexibility that they've never gotten. Instead, they kicked it down the road. And that's really what this buyout will be doing. It's not as punitive because the Larson deal is seven and change versus it's four and one and all these different variables in the buyout structure, which you can see on cap friendly, but the, it's, it's the overall notion of it that yes, the cap's going up and yes, those cap hits in the buyout are going to be less painful as they go on. Theoretically, we don't have a crystal ball and can't actually rule out that there will be some other crazy world-altering event like a pandemic. But that said, it almost feels like they need to try and gut this out as long as they can to make it as palatable as possible and just hope and pray that somewhere along the way, either Rick Tockett or whatever happens, 
Oliver Ekman Larson finds some kind of Eric Carlson rejuvenation and out of the clear blue sky, he becomes the player that the Canucks thought they were trading for and the Oliver Ekman Larson that everyone watched star in the NHL seven years ago. I heard you talking about this with Mike, I believe it was yesterday. Do you do you think there's any possibility that we can even see a small bounce back from Oliver Ekman Larson? This guy was below replacement level when he's playing last season. I well, didn't you answer your own question? Like the only way theoretically, if you're already below replacement level is up. (laughs) At what point does pride (laughs) kick in for that player to say, I've been subpar. I don't know if it's an attention to detail thing. I don't know if it's a motivation thing, whatever it may be. He seems like he's lost. Mm. And when you consider the amount of money you're making, I don't know if he just shrugged and just like, this is an absolute shit show here. Mm-hmm. I think a couple players did that last season at a certain point. But yep. you can't throw in the towel when, when you're being paid that much money. You, you have to have some sort of fire in you that makes you want to play for more than that to defend your own name. Absolutely. Frank, you've had some fire in you. This is an incredible hit. Thank you so much for taking the time today. The chat's going nuts. They are loving it. Uh, a lot of them are saying, thank you, Jim. I believe that's a throwback to Jim Bradley <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but uh, good stuff, Jim Benning there. Uh, all right, Frank, appreciate you taking the time today. Excellent stuff. Thanks a ton. Have a good one, guys. Absolutely. There he is. Frank Valley joining us there. A lot to chew on there from Frank. What do you want to start with there, Quads? Anything? I've, actually, you know what? Sorry, we are going to transition a little bit to the draft plan. Just a quick little conversation there. Was surprised that Frank said that, you know, that 11th should not be in play at all. I think there are some options where it could make sense for the Canucks to move that pick. But Frank kind of mentioned it, you know, like it sounds like the, the Canucks want to get the best player available in that draft at 11. And that's that's an option, too. I'm not saying that's a bad plan. I just I wonder about draft capital and total and the value you might be able to get if you are making a trade. Uh, and I do have a bunch to kind of get into some trade options here, which we'll get to. But what did you take away uh, aside from that draft talk that you may want to hit on before we dive into this draft pick stuff. Quickly here, here's what I found really interesting was the talk of the 7 to $9 million increase in the cap next next season, two mm-hmm. seasons from now, if it doesn't go up by any amount uh, this offseason or more than the $1 million. You get what I'm saying. I found that interesting, Chris, because I was thinking about the JT Miller contract and Jim Rutherford's quote, which we're all bookmarked, we've all bookmarked, where he said the JT Miller contract is not going to affect the Canucks long-term functionality type thing. Like that's what he said was just long-term this contract, the cap's going to go up, not going to, not going to affect us at all. The best way to make sure that's the case, Chris, is that if you think your team is competitive right now, which I think the Canucks do, I think the Canucks once again, you know, say whether it's right or wrong, whatever. I think the Canucks think that they're right there. I think the Canucks again are going to go for a playoff spot next year and they think they're going to be able to compete and it's only up from there. I'm sure that's what the organization thinks. If you're in that spot, the best way to make your team actually good is to have these guys on ELCs, these difference makers on entry-level contracts. And for the Canucks drafting a player at 11th, let's say you take a right-handed defenseman that you really believe in. If you're able to add that guy to your defense core and he's playing in your top four and look at this team, right? Like if he's playing in your top four, he's probably playing with Quinn Hughes. Like as a rookie, He's probably playing with Quinn Hughes. Or, or am I wrong about that? I don't think so. Philip Ronick, you're probably not going to put him with Hughes. If he is, whatever, that's fine. The point stands. This guy's going to play in your top four, potentially your top pairing. 
you want that guy on an entry level contract for three years like that that three years that's a long time like that that's a good amount of time to have a guy on an elc and keep in mind chris the guy they drafted this this draft isn't going to be on that elc starting next season it's going to be in two seasons from now or potentially even three and they're going to have this guy on an elc so have some sense of direction of where your team's at Look, if they were going for it this year, where I and when I say going for it, I think I mean, um, you know, going for the cup and they're like a competitive team. The Canucks aren't that. And I think, you know, give them credit. I think they have some sense of hold on reality that they're not there yet. Like, I think they understand that, okay, we have some young players. You know, they target Hronik, who's under 26. They target, um, you know, Ethan Bear, all that kind of stuff. They're still targeting young players, but that's because they want that core to grow together. Like these guys came from Pittsburgh, Jim Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, and hell, even Rick Tockett. Like they saw a core grow together, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what they want. They want this core to start winning and they want them to start growing together. Now, adding to that core is very important. And Jim Rutherford knows that better than anybody. I think the Canucks know that they can't do it too early, um, that they need to wait a little bit. And I think that's where the organization's at right now. That's why I think they will ultimately use that 11th overall pick to draft a player. Like I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, they're going to trade it for immediate help. I don't really know if that's the case. Like there are some players that I think might be worth targeting, but also you have to think long-term and say, okay, well, an ELC is very valuable for our team right now. But there's guys like Anthony Sorelli that come to mind where, you're saying, okay, well, I could see them moving the pick for that or whatever, right? Like going to get your middle six center or whoever. But again, 11th overall, that's nothing to slouch at. Like I know it's not in the top 10, but look, the 11th overall pick is still very valuable. Yeah, and you know what? In this draft, it feels like it feels like a top five pick. Like it feels like the value of this draft pick and the way that this draft is so deep, it feels like you're picking at like six in a regular draft, right? Like this feels like... The, you you think you're in a spot where the Canucks are at 11, where they're going to get a player. And, and I don't know if they'll live up to this level of being that type of player, but like you're thinking about them being like the Calgary Flames at six, picking Matthew Kachuk, right? Like I, I think that is at least what you're hoping for at the best in this draft because you're you're going to see so many forwards be massively impactful in the NHL in a couple of years when they get to that point. So I, I think you you have to explore the options. I, I do agree. Like I you know to my own point. The, this draft is so deep that at 19, maybe you're finding a player that you feel similar to at 11, right? So if you're able to pick up an extra second round pick, I think that's an incredible move. So let's let's get to the draft plan a little bit because I do have some graphics I want to bring up. Let's start with the one that's been talked about a lot. And I see Bedard's burner in the, uh, in the chat. Trading the 11th pick to Chicago is the only logical option. Let's have a look at what Chicago has for their draft picks. Um, as you can see here, they have two first-round picks, obviously first overall with their own pick. They have the 19th pick in the draft, which is the Tampa Bay Lightning's pick. They have the 35th pick in the draft, the 44th pick in the draft, the 55th pick in the draft, and the 51st pick in the draft. So four second-round picks there to play with. If you are trying to move up from 19 to 11, the Chicago Blackhawks make the most sense. Having those four picks in the second round with Vancouver not having one pick in the second round, this is the most obvious option if you're going to go that direction. I, I am curious to see how much worth you can get from a move up from 19 to 11. Is it worth as much as a 35th pick being added in there as well? Basically a first-round pick, right? Like a, a, the top of the second round coming to you, to the to the Vancouver Canucks. I, I'd be curious to see if it gets that level. And I think it's going to depend on, like I don't see this trade being done two days before the draft. I see this trade happening on the draft floor 
Chicago sees that guy at 11 that they love. Maybe it's uh, Dvorsky or something and, or Reinbach or whoever they really want or a guy that potentially is like a winger to maybe it's Colby Barlow to play alongside Connor Bedard. Like that's where I could see this trade really happening. If it does end up happening, I don't see this one being one that happens prior to the actual draft starting. Yeah. I think you have to keep in mind. There's some guys that might slip. Like if you're, if you're trading this pick and then Zach Benson, Matt Vamishkov slip down in the draft, oh. that's like a fireable offense, right? Man, like if you don't on. have a chance. Well, you just hit on there for a second. Imagine Mitchkov and Bedard being like, that would be, you know, Chicago would give up a lot. Say Mitchkov slides to 11 and the Canucks are sitting there. You you could get a haul back. If, if you're the, the Blackhawks and they're looking five years down the road of having a top line of Connor Bedard and Matt Mitchkov, that would be fun. That would be very but- fun. Why would the Canucks trade that pick is what I mean. Like, why would they trade that pick? And why would it be fun? Why would it be fun if the Blackhawks had Bedard and Mitchkov? Why would that be fun? That's not fun. Honestly, in terms of hockey, I I know it sucks that that's the team that would get it. But, man, (laughs) that would be wild. I just think that, hey, listen, when Mitchkov gets to the NHL, is Patrick Alvin still the GM of the Canucks? I would bet no. I would bet that he's not the GM of the Canucks. Stop, Stop allowing this two-year timeline or this two-year window persists like it's not your it's not your job to say oh yeah you know well Patrick Alvin's not going to be here I know you're doing your job I, I get it because you're right but the Canucks as an organization cannot function that way they cannot function oh, with a guy sure do, always though, on the hot seat dude the 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 idea that you're you're spewing right now and I keep my this is misdirected anger it's not towards you <laughs> What you're saying right now is the entire reason that Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland are Canucks. And Garland aside, let's focus on OEL. He's the reason, like, that's the reason that Oliver ekman Larson is a Canuck. Is because Jim Benning, well, is Jim Benning going to be here in two years if they don't make the playoffs? No, well, I better make that trade. And then what happened, Chris? They didn't make the freaking playoffs. They didn't make it. Jim Benning's long gone. Nobody's heard from him since. He's in witness protection. Nobody's heard from him. And... We're still here. We're still here. We're still talking about this team. This team still has to deal with those mistakes. Don't allow a GM to just go out and make mistakes because he thinks he's on the hot seat. Like, I don't know who I'm angry at right now. I'm pretty sure it's ownership. But don't have this idea that, oh, well, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, he's fired. Like, don't don't have that idea. Let 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 the GM do his job, Right. And I, I look, I know ownership or whoever might have trust issues about a GM doing his job because of the last GM. I, I get it. The pro scouting was bad. But this management regime, they, all of their bets on pro scouting have been pretty good. Like, they've been pretty good. There's been no player that they've gone out and targeted that people have said, oh, I really dislike this player. It's always, well, I don't think the team's there. That's fine. You can have that opinion. But the players they've acquired, they've been absolutely fine. But I, I, I want them to make this pick. I really want to see them make this pick. We're way over time. Do you have anything else about draft plan? No, I, yeah, I do, but we'll we'll skip it. I just think that, listen, no no NHL GM is comfortable enough to believe that they're going to have their job in five years from now when Mitchkov gets here. So it's basically the OEL trade to the extreme. It's no GM feels safe five years from now. They have no idea. No GM in the whole NHL has, has, has a, you know, a safety blanket that's five years long. It's just not going to happen. So I think Mitchkov really has the potential to slide. Um, so Very we'll have trust. to see. We'll see what happens there. Okay, let's get to the uh, odds and ends. There were some other teams I wanted to get to. The Predators are an option. Red Wings are an option. They have a ton of picks uh, that can make a lot of sense. So we'll touch on that on another day. We do have a quick poll question. Let's pull this up uh, and just get it going real quick. Uh, our poll question, which I will pull up right now because I do not have it up, brought to you by the great folks over at Atlas Goods. 
Uh, which positive prospect story did you enjoy following the most this season? Be sure to go to atlasgds.com and use our promo code CC15 for 15% off your first order of pop rinds. And if you haven't tried pop rinds, you got to try it. Get your best seasoning out there. Dip them in some barbecue sauce, whatever you want to do. Uh, pop rinds, excellent stuff. Fresh out of the air fryer. Love it. The options for our poll question for the most positive prospect story this season. Archer Silovs winning MVP at the Worlds. Jonathan LeCaramacchi being a point per game in the playoffs. Or Danila Klimovic putting up a 17-goal season. And the AHL, the fourth option, I'm angry. Quads, who won the poll today? I didn't look. I was getting the uh, requested Burt Cam from uh, from Lisa. He's up right now. He's ready to eat. But I'll pull it up right now. Our poll question, you mentioned it. Atlas Goods. Okay. Uh, alarming. Alarming number of people, Chris. 70% vote Seelov's MVP at the Worlds. 15% say LeCaramacchi in the playoffs. Uh, 6% say Klimovich's 17-goal season. And 9% of folks are upset about the Canucks prospects. They picked I'm angry, but like I said, 70%, myself included, saying Seelov's MVP at the Worlds. And when you look at these, Chris, like when you look at all four options, just what was the hardest to do? It was what Seelov's did, I'd say. And I, th- I think there's maybe something to be said about Klimovich's 17-goal season in the AHL. That's nothing to slouch at. I would rank it higher than LeCaramacchi in the playoffs. That's a first-round pick in the SHL playoffs, okay? You should be producing. You should be. Uh, Seelov's MVP at the Worlds, though. I think that was the hardest thing to do. I think the listeners got it right on this one. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit more of the story I enjoyed following most was Danila Klimovic scoring 17 in the season he had in the AHL. I, I do really think that was an impressive year for him, especially after what he did the year before. Uh, but I know that's that's getting the least amount of votes. I see 6.9% on mine. Uh, right now, but Seelov's the recency bias. He was going to win this poll. I had no doubt in my mind he was going to win this poll, but uh, I'll tell you what, he was better last year at the World Championships. He was better last year, but uh, nobody was talking about it back then, aside from us. All right, uh, a couple more things. Do you want to, uh, I'll give you 30 seconds here for Milan Lucic. I know you wanted to say something here on Milan Lucic. People got to get over his Vancouver comments. Like, the people that are like, oh, he said he's never coming back to Vancouver and nobody will ever see him in downtown Vancouver. Guy got into a bar fight after his team lost. And bar fight, I shouldn't even say fight. He got punched unprovoked twice, okay? And I'm look, I'm not sitting here stumping for Lucic or anything. But this, a year after his family's church in Burnaby was defaced with graffiti... And his grandparents have been harassed at Canucks games. Lighten up, folks. These people are like, oh, he, he's not, he said he doesn't like the city of Vancouver. He's not welcome here. Get over yourselves. Get over yourselves. You'd have a different opinion about your city if this stuff was happening to your family. The city you grew up in, you know, this stuff's happening to you and your family. Get a grip, people. Get over yourselves. Anyways. I'm and I tell you what, if anybody touches Quinn Hughes and Lucic on the, is on the Canucks and sticks up for him, everybody's going to forget about him winning the cup. If, if you can have if you can have Milan Lucic at like league minimum basically, right? Like the guy's trying to stick in the league. If he if he's playing as your twelfth or thirteenth forward and he's making one million dollars or less, a completely buriable contract, how do you not like that? I, I'm sorry, I, I don't I don't care that a year after his family's church was defaced with graffiti that said go Canucks go and F the Lucic's or whatever it was that it said. I don't care that he, in an emotional moment, told Boston reporters that he wasn't going to be going back downtown Vancouver uh, after that. Like, I don't care. 
go live in Carousel. I don't care. Who cares? You don't, it's, it's silly. And look, the guy's got kids now, like all of his spare time. If he, if he were to come to Vancouver would be spent with like dance classes, swimming, all that sort of stuff that parents do that. That would be his free time. He's not going to be going out partying in downtown anymore. That's not like he's a grown man. And the people complaining about this also need to grow up. This is it's ridiculous. It, honestly, if you don't want the player cause he's old and slow, that's fine. But don't say, oh, he said something bad about Vancouver. Don't bring that into it. That is just the most baby brain take. I, I, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to keep talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, listen, if he's at league minimum, I'm not against Lucic playing seven minutes a night to at five on five and maybe getting a minute on the second power play unit every night and standing in front of the net. Like, I, I don't think it's the worst idea. I don't think he's uh, the game breaker for this roster, but I've, I, I like having a little bit of toughness out there to kind of worry the opponents. The Canucks need that here's, more than anyone, man. Here's the other thing. Canucks have a lot of wingers, and Jarhead brings up a really good point here. He said, you think he's an upgrade in any way over what we have? I don't. Like, like think no, about it I this way, Chris. So. You're basically going to take Phil Giuseppe, who played on a second line under Rick Tockett. You're going to take him out of the lineup to put Milan Lucic in. I, I don't like that switch. I really don't. I, I really, I, I really don't. I, I, I don't think the Canucks should sign Lucic. I just think the people saying they shouldn't because he said mean things about Vancouver need to get a grip. That's all. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Understandable. Uh, let's wrap this up on a fun note. Uh, the odds and ends. Uh, a story out of the UK with a local connection. Delaney Irving of my hometown, Nanaimo, woke up in a <laughs> medical tent with a wheel of cheese on her lap over the weekend. For people who don't know, the cheese roll competition that goes on it's about 50 uh, 160 kilometers west of london it's the cooper's hill cheese rolling competition and a girl out of nanaimo in race three of the day ended up winning this we have the video up here on the screen right now can't really see they're all just look like ants coming down the hill but the big smack at the end there oh my goodness delaney irving of uh, the great folks in Nanaimo, nothing but good people there in Nanaimo. i was just there on the weekend uh awesome stuff she uh she won the race but was unconscious when going through the the finish line. An incredible scene. Uh, she she was fine-ish. Uh, she definitely took a hit uh, at this, and, she, and the interview is the probably the best part of this. We have the interview here, uh, Aaron. Let's run this here uh, to hear from Delaney. By Delaney Irving from Canada, despite being knocked unconscious. Well, I decided yesterday that I would do the race, and then. Uh... <laughs> I started running and I just remember hitting my head and now I have the cheese. So I kind of blacked out for most of it. What a quote. Like an unreal quote. So I'm running I'm running down to Seattle. I'm gonna go watch a Mariners game, a little day trip next week. Uh, that's going to be me when I come back over the border. That's going to be my quote is I hit my head and now I have the cheese because as you know, we make our spices and cheese runs over in the States gonna be a good time but yeah shout out to Delaney this uh yeah shout out to Delaney she's going it's going crazy my, my friends on the island this this story is is everybody's picking it up in Nanaimo and by the way this uh Cooper's Hill cheese rolling competition that was the 198th installment of this unreal that this is almost it's almost the 200 year celebration uh in a couple years 2026 uh or sorry 2025 will be the the 200 year celebration is Delaney gonna be back after her performance at this past weekend's tournament, oh, I hope so. Because she, uh, she's like, if you're going down that hill, 
you, I would think you want to like roll, right? Like that's, if I was in there, I'd try, I'd be rolling and just hoping for the best, maybe tucking everything in. She was in a full like sprint near the end of that hill there. Can we get the video up again, Alex or Aaron? Sorry. That's going to take me a while to get used to. Uh, but Aaron, <laughs> can we get the video up of her going down the hill at first? Because like it, she, a lot of them are rolling sideways and like there's, there's a decent amount of speed as you're like, cause it's a steep hill. This is a very steep hill They're They're rolling down, but she picks up about halfway and starts running. And I'm like, Oh, she is moving. And then boom, <laughs> right face first into there. She's unconscious after she crosses over the finish line. An incredible uh, video. If you haven't seen it, it's all but over that's the place. The thing. That's the thing is that's what it takes to win is running. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like rolling, you're not going to be as fast as if you're actually bounding down that hill as she was. And Hey, that's what it takes to win. You know, Rick Tockett, I heard yep. has already checked in on her availability for this uh, free agency period. No, that's uh she's on LTI to start the season, but she's, uh, <laughs> she's got an option here. And I tell you what, she's probably from the South end in Nanaimo. Cause that's, that's where I grew up in the South end. Nobody from the North ends running like that down a hill for the, for the wheel cheese. I'll tell you that. Um, all right. We'll wrap things up there on that note. I don't think we have anything more. We are planning um, to get back to two shows a week starting next week. Quads, maybe talk about that a little bit and close this thing out. Yeah, Tuesday, Thursday is what we're looking at. Maybe Monday, Thursday, because you got a, oh, yeah. like your 19th dentist appointment in the last 10 days. Um, so we'll figure it out. It'll be on the Twitter account. Also, quickly, I'll get this in. I'm starting a baseball podcast. I'm not going to say anything else, oh. but I'm going to be doing a baseball podcast. I'm very excited about it. Details will follow but for now in the meantime and in between time my name is dave guadrelli our thanks again to frank saravalli and zephyr Epp, of course for sponsoring all of our guest segments uh for my co-host chris faber and of course our technical producer aaron bordado took me a second there as well is. my name is dave guadrelli thank you so much for listening to another episode of the canucks conversation Here we go. thanks for listening to canucks conversation hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode how about keep it to a thank you jim